0: Welcome back to Thinking About It, and uh, we're here in our studio with uh, Dr. Rick Reed, who is the Chancellor of Heritage Seminary, College and Seminary, and uh, we, Andrew and I, Andrew's here too, Andrew Noble, our, our producer. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Here I am. And uh, we're, we booked Rick a while ago because we wanted to talk about uh, the state of preaching today. Rick is... Uh, uh, directly involved in homiletics, which is the art and science of sermon preparation and delivery, and has had a big impact on a lot of our uh, people in ministry today, and so we've been looking forward to this chat, Rick, and we want to just pick your brains for a little bit or or have a conversation with you about the state of preaching today. Um, I I remember on one occasion I went to a church and said, who's preaching today? And the guy said, Oh, we don't preach. We teach. I said, oh, what's that? You know, and I just began to realize that, okay, there's a thing out there about what preaching is. And in this person's mind, preaching was not a desirable thing in his mind. So let's just talk a little bit about that, Rick, what's your experience? And what are your ideas about the role, the value of preaching? And what is good preaching?
1: First of all, thanks for letting me be part of this. Uh, It's a joy to be with you again, Bob and Andrew. I've had you in class, and uh, think highly of both you brothers. So thanks for letting me be part of this conversation. Um, The role of preaching. To me, uh, a seminal passage that directs my thinking is 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul, writing his last words to a young protege, Timothy, Paul knows he's about to die. So what's he going to say? What are his words at the door? What's what's he want to leave ringing in Timothy's ear? Well, he says in chapter 4, Timothy, preach the word. Herald the word. Herald the message. So I think if, if you ask the Apostle Paul, is preaching a big deal? He would say it's the means God has ordained to bring many to salvation and to bring others to sanctification. So yeah, I don't think it's a negotiable for us. I'm sad that somebody thinks we don't do preaching. Maybe they just heard enough bad preaching or something called yeah. preaching that they're just burnt on that.
0: They didn't they didn't say it about you or anything you're associated with. There was just another church context <laughs> that I went to. But I've heard that since. You know, that the idea that someone would stand up in front of a group of people and be preachy. Yeah. Um and I think I know I think I know what they mean, where this guy's got confidence. He, how can someone be so confident in a postmodern era? We don't like that tone. Is that a good tone? I mean, yeah,
1: and let's throw it to Andrew. Andrew, you're another generation down or so from the two of us. Your contemporaries, would they think preaching, Do they have if they think of preaching at all, do they tend to think of it in a certain category that has negative overtones, like don't preach at me? Uh, you know, is it, don't be preachy or, yeah. or, is, is it more neutral? Is it more blank? How would you, how would you answer that? Well, obviously
2: it, there's different people with different personalities with this. It's been interesting even in the last few years with some protests that have happened, that there's preaching a, of a sort at those protests. There's a heralding of a moral law at those protests. And so you might say that even in the last 10 years, there's been a shift back towards proclamation of a message mm-hmm. for people to rally around, whether that's in parliament, like there's a protest yesterday or whatever, you know, or the truckers or the Black Lives Matter protest, like whatever side of the ideological spectrum, there is perhaps an increase in some circles. But I've also definitely heard with other millennials like me, why don't we do discussion groups? Uh-huh. More learning happens in discussion. That sort
0: of thing. Some of that uh, that you're talking about, you're speaking to your own tribe. You're whipping people up to a frenzy to go out there and and march. Uh, But what about that tone uh, to unbelievers who aren't in the tribe, who don't already have buy-in to what you're saying? Is preaching a a good medium to the unconverted or the dispassionate?
1: You know, I think it actually is. I think... Unfortunately, not all of us as preachers remember that when we're speaking to people, they're actually people. We just think we're, uh, I had a preaching prof back in my seminary days that said, remember this, your job is not to preach the word. And we all thought, wait a second, what do you just say? He said, your job is to preach the word to people. Mm. And I think when you realize that the listeners have a story and they have a whole perspective and view on life, if you come at them in a way that belittles them, or marginalizes them, or seems to say, you know nothing, then I think they get their hackles up. But if you come at them at a way that says, I have a message that is filled with life, some of it's going to confront and change the way you think about life. So it could be discomforting. But it is life. When, when you come at people like that, I find even those who are skeptical will give you a listen. Hmm.
2: You said the word heralding earlier when you defined preaching. Can you unpack that?
1: Yeah. The, in 2 Timothy 4, the, the Greek word there, keruxon, is the idea of herald. And it, it is the announcing of a message from another. Hmm. So a herald was somebody often on behest of the king or whoever who would come in who didn't invent the message, but they were someone to faithfully communicate the message
0: a message that's important comes from yes. another who is greater
1: that's right so, so there was some gravitas to this yeah. uh,
0: you know my my own experience in in preaching I, I like what you said about don't preach the word preach to the people there are times when i'm preaching that i'm not or i'm more conscious of people than at other times uh, when you're in a small gathering you're People are right there. You, right. you make eye contact. Right. In a larger group, uh, you don't make so much eye contact. And I find that the, the times when I do make eye contact, when I'm conscious of the people, there's a different vibe yes. in, in my own soul, in my own preaching. It's almost intimidating, but it's, <laughs> it's a real encounter with people. And sometimes it's very easy just to look at the back of the wall or pan, and then you're not face-to-face with people.
1: I would agree Bob. I I think that when we see ourselves as coming with this message that is of life-giving importance from another from a king from the king but we're coming as the first hearer of the message. We're not up there at some kind of <clears throat> you know power trip that we're trying to say listen to me, all eyes on me, you know, that's not it. It's more so like I'm coming to you out of a heart of compassion, out of a heart of love. You're people like me who need this message. I need this message. You need this message. So let's all hear it together. I'm voicing it, but it's really a message to us, not just to you. Then it's less finger-wagging. Then it's less pointing other people down. It's more like saying, this is what God says to us. And, and when I'm connecting, looking them in the eyes, as you said, when I'm conscious that these are people, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you've been a pastor long enough, even if you don't know them, you know enough of the stories of people that you can enter in to the fact that behind the smile or behind even the indifferent look on someone's face is probably a world of hurt or a world of questions or a world of hopes, and you enter into those. Would you
0: say that that is uh, a difference between a pastor who is preaching to his people and a guest preacher who's coming in with a, what mm. we used to call a Royal George sermon? <laughs> Uh, but people listen differently to that?
1: I think it can be. I, uh, In my role now, I actually am the uh, guy that disappoints because they go, oh, we don't have our real guy today. <laughs> we got some guy from some school somewhere. And I realize that in many cases, I know very, very few people out there. On another level, I know everyone out there because their hearts beat like mm-hmm. my heart. And so I don't think it has to be uh, a barrier to effective communication that you don't know the specifics. But I think if we are, I think, as you said, a pastor who preaches, I think if we preach pastorally with our pastoral instincts, mm-hmm. we're better preachers.
0: Well, I, per- I personally enjoy preaching to my Grandview congregation than to be a guest preacher somewhere mm-hmm. else. They get me, my nuances. They don't have to be careful. They, they know my, I have a right. sometimes an odd sense of humor, and most of them, let me do that. Whereas if I'm in a different (laughs) crowd, it might be offensive or something. So I'm more myself when I'm with my own people. And it's just a different vibe. It's not to say uh, that when we get a guest speaker, like you've been here uh, many times, uh, not enough, but uh, people will never forget the day Rick Reed came and the preaching of Rick Reed and some other guests are the same way. So it's a powerful uh, ministry to us. But there is a difference when you're preaching to your own people and when you have a guest.
1: Generally, I think what you're doing week in, week out, week in, week out is the most beneficial way to have preaching done, where people get to know you, you know them. There is a place, I think, for the the guest preacher, because sometimes they can say things without knowing all what's going on. They can actually touch things Mm -hmm. that would be very difficult for the you know in-house pastor yeah. to touch in the same way. Yeah. It's, it's almost like
2: Paul's letters spoke into congregations in a different way than those yes. congregations themselves could articulate to that's themselves. That's right. Yeah.
0: We've we've had Steve Jones uh, here before. And you know, I'll preach and I I call people to come to Jesus. They don't come. Sometimes, but they're almost sometimes there. Sometimes they do, Bob. Steve, Sometimes they do. Steve Jones shows up. <laughs> and there were seven people who responded to his call for the gospel and you know I appreciate that I get yeah. that it's a different voice that it's, God will yes. use and now is the time so I agree with that okay what about uh the TED talk phenomenon it's a very popular Great. venue I think what, what's a TED talk is 10 15 minutes is that what they are 18 give or take mm-hmm. um people love that that's not preaching what is that is that and is that affecting how people um think about preaching
1: Well, it's interesting. I I read a book on TED Talks and just kind of what makes them go, and they are a phenomenon. And there are some things that they emphasize that all good communicators should do. So can you learn from them? Yes. Are we just a spiritual version of TED Talks? I would say no. And I would say that because preaching, I believe, and I don't say this because I'm a preacher, although this sounds self-serving, I think preaching is a -a one-of-a-kind speaking event. I don't think there's anything... Like it. It's not, some people think preaching is a subcategory of public speaking. Mm-hmm. So preaching is to public speaking what right. mocha alma fudge is to ice cream. It's mm-hmm. one, one flavor. But Paul in Second Timothy 4, which I referenced earlier, I think he makes the case that preaching is unique because no other message, no TED talk, no, no matter how effective or instructive they are, no other TED talk, no other communication comes with the word of God. And that just sets preaching in its own category. There is, no other, there is no other message that ranks of the same weight, importance, eternal significance as the Word of God. So can we learn from TED Talks? Sure. Should we try to just say, well, let's all just do TED Talks? I'd say, no, 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 no. We, that's kind of degrading preaching to mm-hmm. something that I think it's higher than that.
0: You know, so I see the TED Talks on the video, and it's, it's one guy or one gal, big stage, no pulpit, No notes. It's just one person talking to another, which is a very interesting dynamic. I think a lot of preachers could learn how to be more relational in the pulpit. Um,
2: Yeah, I wonder about for the people listening to this podcast and they're thinking about how do I value preaching even though I'm not a preacher? What does that look like for me in the pew? You know, I go into preaching like... Bob sends out notes sometimes on on the Friday going into the sermon on Sunday. You can look at those notes. Some people do, some people don't. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's helpful for Bob's preaching because you realize that, oh, there's a lot of organization behind Behind what he's saying. (laughs) And then you see that on the Friday and then you go into the message on Sunday and he is really following up a grand narrative that sometimes you only get a sense of at the end of the sermon. Anyways, how do you encourage listeners, the people in the pew, to value preaching?
1: Yeah, you know, in Ezekiel, there's this really fascinating uh, passage where Ezekiel is told by the Lord, when the people come hear you, you're just essentially entertainment to them. They, they love, you're, you're like someone who sings a beautiful love mm-hmm. song. And they say, let's go hear it, let's go hear it. And obviously the Lord is not happy with that. Mm-hmm. that they're just treating it as something, it's like a eh, novel, it's kind of interesting. I think the way that all of us should come into preaching is to say, today I have a chance to hear from God through a person but to hear from God. And if I come with that sense of expectation and hope, then even if the preacher is not as scintillating as we all wish we were, uh, there still could be great value.
0: Mm. How long should a sermon be?
1: Um, I I like what T. Gordon David said. He said, you don't measure a sermon in minutes. You you measure a sermon in minutes past interest. (laughs) As long as it's interesting, it actually holds people. So I don't think it's a set length. But generally, it shouldn't go on for hours.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had, had a lady come to the church a little while ago, brand new person. At the end of the service, she was talking with me. The preacher didn't know, didn't recognize me. I don't know where she was sitting, but didn't know it was me. And I'm always interested in the impression that first-timers have of, ch- of the church in general. And she said, I really like the music, uh, but that that sermon was long. <laughs> so it was a 30-minute sermon, and I've gone longer. And I just think people who are not churched... Yeah. Um, aren't used to sitting through a 30-minute discourse of any kind. And if we can be mindful of that and do everything we can to be creative. uh, Now, Rick, if we can detain you for one more (laughs) podcast after this one, sure, I'd like to chat with you about how our sermons can be um, interesting and easy to listen to and creative. That's great. That'll be for our next podcast. Until then... I'm Bob McGregor here with Chancellor Rick Reed and Andrew Noble. We'll see you next time.